Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365 day returns. Hello, I'm Dave Berry, and I am fascinated by my next door neighbour. His name is Neil Srinivasan, and he's a leading cardiologist. Now, whether it be taking our kids to the local park or having a pint or two, I've always been left with more questions about his profession than I've had answers. And in the doctor next door, I'll be asking Neil the burning questions that keep me up at night, dissecting medical myths under his watchful eye, and doing my utmost to learn more about an industry that is quite literally a matter of life and death. But this podcast isn't just about me. Oh no, I want you to be involved as well. Let Neil be your doctor next door. So if you've got any questions or stories, you can send them to doctoratnextdoorpod.com right now. Ah, there he is, the doctor next door. Neil, hi. Hi, David. Good to see you again. Good to see you.、Um, I want to talk emojis. I'm going to cut straight to the chase. Okay. I was a reluctant user of emojis.、Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of like we were regressing、yeah. as a human race、yeah. into doing cave paintings again. <laughs> But now I embrace all things emoji. Yeah. Now, the heart emoji,、mm-hmm. the traditional one that we will all know, actually isn't, as you'll be fully aware, based on the human heart. It's actually based on female buttocks from the back. Interesting. Yes. Someone's been on a search engine. <laughs> um, So, do you use, professionally speaking, the love heart emoji when talking about patients? And is there an anatomically correct heart emoji that professionals like yourself would use? I don't think there is an anatomically correct heart emoji that I that can、out. think of. They、yeah. need to sort that out. So, do you use the kind of cartoony I love you one? Yeah, in emojis, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For the heart. No, I don't but, mean to send to your wife, but, I mean like but, professionally. But, but professionally, also, like, so. Often I'll draw pictures for patients、okay. to try and describe what's happening inside their heart. Right. And one of the things that does happen is that you realise that if you don't draw it like a heart, as in you know, the emoji heart that you know, the patients won't understand because、right. they won't really grasp it. So I actually draw it like the emoji heart. Okay. But then I separate it. So the heart is split into four chambers. So it has two chambers on the top, two chambers on the bottom. They are separated by a wall that goes across the heart, and then the heart is also split into left and right, so there's a wall in the middle. So, what I do is I draw this sort of emoji looking heart, but the two chambers on the top are the little, you know, buttocks, I suppose, David,、okay. as you've described them. <laughs>、um, and then I draw a line across the middle between them, if that makes sense. So, the, the big elongated bottom bit is the bottom chambers, and then I draw a line in the centre to try and draw that and make that, you know, make sense for patients. So, I think you have to go. You know, to people's level and then make it easy for them to understand. And I say, well, there's two chambers on the top, two chambers on the bottom. The electricity goes from top to bottom. That makes it squeeze from top to bottom. And this is what's happening to your heart right now. 
God, I bet you were right on Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> So, Neil, we have a perfect example of the fact that this podcast is actually working because uh, the quick question that I normally ask you here isn't from me this week. It's come from a listener, which is lovely. And her name is Joy. Of course, like Joy, you can get in touch anytime you like. It's doctoratnextdoorpod.com. And Joy wants to know, does taking an aspirin every day really help prevent having a stroke? Thanks, Joy. Well, Neil, does it? Well... Great question, and thanks for writing in, Joy. Aspirin does indeed have some protective benefits, okay. both through the heart and preventing heart attacks, but also to preventing strokes. How aspirin works is both of these conditions tend to occur because there's a clot somewhere. So there's a blockage to blood supply to the brain causing a stroke or a blockage of blood supply to the heart causing a heart attack. And the thing that sort of accelerates or perpetuates that blockage is something called platelets, some of the sticky sort of um, cells within the blood itself. And once that they get activated, they clump together and completely block the, the flow to those blood vessels, a bit like a block drain or, you know, block pipe in your house. So aspirin works by making those platelets less sticky. And there's not only aspirin, there's a whole host of other medications that are similar to aspirin that work in a similar way. And there was a time when we did used to use it as a preventative thing for heart attacks and strokes. Okay. And we also used to, depending on the risk of patients, give it to all patients. The biggest benefit of these kind of medications, things like aspirin, etc., is actually in preventing heart attacks and strokes in people who've already had a heart attack or stroke. Okay. They have already self-selected themselves as people of high risk, where something's not right in your body, you're prone to this happening. And therefore... Those sort of patients should definitely take something like an aspirin if they're prescribed it by their doctor because they stand to benefit quite significantly. For the rest of the population, people like you and I or maybe people with some other high risk factors, let's say you've got obesity or high blood pressure, that's called primary prevention. We're giving it to everybody in the hope that some of them will benefit. The data for that is less strong. So the data to say, OK, why don't you just take some aspirin and hope it helps you stop you having a stroke the strength of the data for that is actually quite weak. And actually, the, the general evidence suggests it probably doesn't work because you have to give so many out to the general population to prevent one person from having a stroke. Okay. And the side effects, things like bleeding, tummy upset, ulcers, etc., are much greater than the benefits you gain. So would those possible side effects occur if you were taking one aspirin per day for a couple of years absolutely so one of the side effects of aspirin obviously it causes you know a lot of acid formation in the tummy can also cause bleeding in the tummy and ulcers in the tummy okay and and those have to be weighed up against your risks and it, it may be that you know in patients where you think okay maybe you've got high blood pressure maybe you're overweight you're at risk of a heart attack that the better treatment is to make sure that your cholesterol is well treated or that you take a statin for your cholesterol. A statin is a medication that lowers your cholesterol. But also thinking strongly about things like uh, lifestyle, things like healthy exercise. So sorry to interrupt yeah. you, Doctor. So we're, we're going to look at alternatives to aspirin. So, Joy, there, there, there may be other ways. Exactly. Which you were about to highlight before I no, really no. interrupted you. Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so actually thinking about other things like, you know, 
can you change your lifestyle instead of taking an aspirin a day? Because maybe you'll have side effects from the aspirin and maybe you're not high enough risk to warrant taking that, but actually you have got some risk factors. Things like altering your diet, things like reducing salt in your diet if you've got high blood pressure, things like making sure you're taking regular exercise. And, you know, um, we've talked also about, you know, cutting down alcohol, eating well, quitting smoking, so important. All of these other factors are really vitally important and just as important as saying, I've got an easy option here, I'll take a tablet a day and that will protect me. So before embarking on a journey of taking an aspirin every day, you should look at making those changes in your life. And unless your GP has told you to take aspirin and you have already had one of these underlying health issues and that's why you've been prescribed it, it's probably best to take a look at the little kind of changes you can make and avoid taking it altogether. Absolutely. Thank you very much indeed for getting in touch with us here, Joy. Uh, and as I say, you can get in touch anytime you like. It's doctor at nextdoorpod.com. It comes around so quickly. It is time once again for my medical school training. Last time out, I got three out of three. Now, we know that you love playing along where you are. Doctor, the floor is yours. So, Dave, you did amazingly well last last time, and you're really kicking on from your B plus that you got in episode. A very 10. harsh B plus. Exactly. I got seven out of nine. That was amazing. <laughs> exactly. So, this week we've got another set of excellent questions for you. Your first question is: If you are suffering from anosmia, what would your symptoms be? Would it be a a loss of sense of smell, b seasickness? Or C, an inability to fall asleep. Okay. Okay. Go on. Okay. Good. (laughs) Your second question is, what is the sinus node? Is it A, a group of cells that regulate the heartbeat? B, a place where the sinuses connect in the nasal cavity? Or C, the topmost vertebra of your spine? What's the word again? The sinus node. A, a group of cells that regulate the heartbeat. B, a place where the sinuses connect to the nasal cavity. And C, the topmost vertebrae in your spine. Oh, I'm struggling this week. I don't yeah. like it. It's a tough one. And question three. This time we thought we'd make it easy for you. It's a true or false, your favourite. Great. Carrots are good for your eyesight. True or false? Okay. So, they are our three questions for this week's medical training. The answers are on the way. But first, here's another podcast from the producers of Doctor Next Door that we think you're going to love. Ever yearned for the perfect pub to reveal itself from some unexpected alley? Well, The Moon Underwater is the podcast for you. Join me, John Robbins, and the lovely Robin Allender Hi. as we help a special guest create their dream pub. From the drinks behind the bar to the music on the jukebox, The Moon Underwater is whatever you want it to be. So, if you would like to join us in Desire's beating heart, search The Moon Underwater. Or maybe The Moon Underwater will search for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why, hello there, and welcome back to Doctor Next Door. Before that little break, Doctor Neil asked me three more questions to test my medical knowledge, and it's time for us all to discover the answers. Neil. So, your first question, if you remember, Dave, was, if you were suffering from anosmia, what would your symptoms be? Would it be A, a loss of the sense of smell, B, seasickness, or C, the inability to fall asleep? I've gone for A. Very good, Dave. No. Yeah, you got it. Do you know why? Gone. Because uh, anosmia mm-hmm. sounds a bit like schnoz, which is what my dad calls your nose. <laughs> Maybe that's where it comes from. <laughs> yeah. So um, absolutely. Yeah, I've just got to blow my schnoz. Yeah. Uh, so uh, r- really. Yeah. It's um, it's a basically anosmia, also known as uh, smell blindness, or is the loss of the ability to detect one or more smells, and it can be temporary or permanent. And there are a number of factors which influence it. Obviously, things like uh, inflammation. You know, when you've got blood nose a cold those kind of things uh, to actual you know chronic changes in there particularly with regard to the nerves and sensory nerves around there there are some people who who go around completely unable to smell at any time shall i tell you the most unfortunate thing about that um a producer of mine at mtv suffered with that affliction all right uh anosmia and whilst he had learned to live with it and it was fine as soon as everyone found out it was just his whole life and i witnessed it was just people going like what you've never smelled a bacon sandwich and then someone else and he go no so i was kind of you <laughs> never smelt fresh cut grass no (laughs) and that's his life Um, okay so what was the next question fantastic so question two was what is the sinus node Mm. is it a a group of cells that regulate the heartbeat b place where the sinuses connect in the nasal cavity or c the topmost vertebra of your spine while i was a little thrown off is i went for b and that means there's two nose-based questions back-to-back, or I've given two nose-based answers, should I say. But I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with B. I'm sorry, David. You're yeah. wrong. Sinus through me. Yeah, sinus, exactly. So it's, it's actually A, a group of cells that regulate the heartbeat. Is it, though? 
Have yeah. you checked? No, have, yeah. <laughs> this is my new tactic. Are you sure? Let me just Google that again. Exactly. Yeah. It's I. Okay. Yeah. It's um, the sinus node is the pacemaker region within your heart. It's the ah. area that sets the heart rate. Okay. And it's actually governed by a group of cells at the top right-hand upper chamber of the of of the heart. So we, we talked about the heart having you know four chambers, two at the top and two at the bottom, and that's split into left and right. The top right is where the actual heart rate is regulated it's controlled by the brain but also these cells have their own set pacemaker ability so even if the brain wasn't interfering with the heart and saying run faster or run slower these cells would cause the heart to beat at a set rate and they are located in that region okay so i mean i've learned something but i've misstepped there so i've got one out of three so far but i thought your your mtq technique was very good it reminded me of one of my uh, med school exams where i thought they can't have two questions the same as one uh, yeah i changed it that's what so I should have done. That's what you should have done, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I would have gone for C. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, what's my third and final one Okay, then? it was a true or false. Okay. Carrots are good for your eyesight. True or false? The answer is true. Very good. And How do you know that? I know that because raw carrots are one of my favourite food types. And in a really weird twist... Even as a child, I would choose them over like having a chocolate bar. Wow. Which is, I don't even like myself as a child. It's freaky. <laughs> um, so I looked into it and apparently you would have to eat. The, the improvements that they bring to your eyesight are so subtle. You'd have to eat a truckload of carrots yep. for it to have any kind of effect. And the chances are your, your skin would go orange before yes. your eyesight improved. That is absolutely true. Is that, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. They're a rich source of beta carotene. And um, the naturally occurring pigment inside them makes you makes the carrot itself orange. It's converted into vitamin A, which is a very important you know food for your eyesight, along with other leafy greens, things like kale and spinach. But you're absolutely right. I suppose if you eat too much, your skin might well turn orange. The sad thing about this is I've just, you know, proudly boasted that I've been eating carrots since I was a small boy. Yet I'm a minus 2.5 in both eyes. <laughs> so there you go. Now, Doctor, it is time for the burning question. And it comes about this time round because the clocks sprung forward last week, which meant many of us lost an hour in bed. And trust me, when you're a breakfast show host, that really stinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, which is a good thing, the world's beginning to open up a little bit more. We're going to be able to travel. Um, Sarah Jane and I and Evie, we're going to be going off to the States um, at the end of the month, which we're really looking forward to. So with both those things happening in my world right now, I wanted to open it up and ask about body clocks, adjusting to time zones. How do you get over jet lag? That's my big question for you. Take it away. Jet lag. What a pain, hey? Do you uh -huh. suffer from it really badly? Everyone suffers from it. I think because of my unusual working hours that I have had since I was a young man, yeah. it doesn't seem to affect me as badly as it does others. Okay. Like Sarah Jane gets it quite badly, okay. but I kind of am able to crack on. All right. That's very good. I mean, I think it's some of it's genetic. Some people don't suffer oh, okay. from it as much as others. So I'm not just making that but, up in my own mind. Some of it is also maybe your, your training and adjustment, your, the way you sleep. I suffer from it really badly. Okay. So particularly, so jet lag is worse when you travel east. We'll talk about that a bit more in a bit. But I suffer from it really badly if I come back from the United States. Sometimes I'm up in the middle of the night. I'm also really hungry randomly in the middle of the night. My wife thinks I'm just sort of, you know, in American mode and just want to eat pizza at two in the morning. <laughs> but I just can't help it. So jet lag is a temporary disorder um, that occurs when you travel quickly across multiple time zones. And the reason for that is the body has its own internal clock called the circadian rhythm 
And that controls when you're awake and when you're asleep. And that is very tightly controlled by where you are at the moment in terms of where you live. And it's synced very closely to your internal time zone because it's governed by light and dark as well as your routine, your daily routine. Obviously, you have a slightly different routine. You're used to getting up a little bit more in the dark and those kind of things, right? Um, and they control your sleep-wake cycle. There are lots of cells in the brain in the back of the eye, and they send these light signals to an area called the hypothalamus, where there's a gland called the pineal gland. And when you have a low light, for instance, that there is a loss of that signal and there's a release of something called melanin. So there's a whole load of chemicals that are released, melatonin, cortisol, etc., and they control these circ circadian rhythms. And when you have this loss of that, your body doesn't know what to do. And the more time zones you do, so for example, let's say you leave uh, New York on a 4 p.m. flight on a Tuesday and you arrive in Paris at like 7 a.m. on a Wednesday. Sounds lovely when we're going. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> your internal clock will still think it's 1 a.m. And that means you're ready for bed just as Paris is waking up. And that causes all of this confusion. So light and the hormones around that are secreted in response to that in your brain are controlling this. So you mentioned that it's worse if you travel east. So travelling west is better for your jet lag. I think so. It tends to be slightly better when you travel west than when you travel east. And it's relating to how you sort of lose and gain time. It's also related to, um, uh, you know, the number of time zones you fly. So when you fly across many time zones, and particularly when you're travelling east, you lose time and you lose more time than when you're, you're, you're flying west. When you go west, you gain time. And it's that loss of time then that really confuses the brain in terms of where you are because you can always um, you know, gain time, go to the States, for instance, and then just quickly readjust because the light is going to be switched off and it's going to be nighttime and then you're going to sleep and you can readjust. But the other way around, you lose time and you have a really bigger cycle to catch up in terms of the light-dark cycle. It's more problematic, obviously, in frequent flyers. You obviously used to fly a lot for your work and still yeah. do. Mm. Um, maybe that's part of why you adapt so well, because, you know, I really struggle with it. And also, as we get older, it becomes harder. Um, there's a fascinating book, which I've touched on before here on Doctor Next Door, uh, called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, which I, I highly recommend. And a couple of things that, that, that came from that book, which I, I found fascinating... Uh, they did a, a huge study of um, cabin crew, pilots and shift workers also come into this. People who are constantly having their sleep patterns disrupted, people who are having their circadian rhythms messed with on a regular basis. And it really affects the parts of the brain that allow you to learn yep. uh, and short term memory are both affected um, by messing around with your circadian rhythms. And also uh, Matthew Walker in the book says that every day in a new time zone... Yeah. Uh, gives you one hour adjustment yeah. towards being normal. Yeah. So if you go to the States, for example, from the UK, and if you were there for eight days, if that was the time difference, then you would be back on your normal body clock, would be functioning correctly after eight days, which is normally when everyone then has to fly back home again. Absolutely, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I think that's about right. I mean, it's probably about an hour, maybe half an hour a day. So it takes a long time to adjust. And I certainly find, you know, it takes me a week or so sometimes. How do we get over it then, Neil? So, I mean, for those who do suffer with it badly like yourself, are, are there any tips or tricks? Is there anything that can be done medically or is it just something that you've got to live with? So uh, mostly it's something you've got to live with. Uh, there are some things you can do. So 
you know, if you're you're doing work or you you've got a meeting or something, it's important to try and arrive early to be you know awake and ready for it, so you're less you know give yourself a chance to adjust to something. But also try and get plenty of rest before your sleep, and you can also gradually adjust your sleep schedule before you actually travel. So you can maybe try to go to bed you know one hour earlier mm. for a few nights before. Uh, and then see how things go. And then when you arrive, it's very important, I think, to try and regulate your exposure to the the light because light really clearly influences the secretion of melat- melatonin. So you've got to basically let your body know that you're meant to be awake. Exactly. So you need to, let's say, you arrive. So you've got to put up a bit of a fight against yourself. Absolutely. Mm. So you need to arrive and go. Okay, right. It's really very light here and uh, I need to make sure that I'm exposing myself to light and wait until it gets dark before I you know, train my body to, to sleep and try and stay on that new schedule. Mm. Keep yourself uh, well hydrated and particularly if you're on the plane and it's night time in your destination, try and get some sleep if you can because that will help you readjust quicker because you've then had a sleep. But sometimes you just arrive, you've not slept very well on the plane and you're exhausted and you have to sleep. And in in those settings, it becomes very difficult. There are some online calculators, actually. I used to suffer from this really badly, and uh, when I used to come back, I'd have to go to work and things. And there are certain online calculators which you can use that try and teach you to adjust your regime, particularly if you're tired. It will tell you to have a sort of mini-nap at like 4.30 till 5.30, then wake up and try again. So I've tried things like that before to see if they work, and they are slightly helpful in shifting your cycles. Because I suppose you need to be fully alert in your line of work, Neil. And not just if you're you're doing an operation or, you know, matter of life and death, as I say at the beginning of the podcast each episode, but even just to be taking in, you might be learning something new from a colleague or someone might have developed a treatment that you want to adapt and, and, and bring over back to the UK, your brain needs to be functioning to take in the information. Absolutely. And it's uh, quite tiring sometimes to sort of, you know, go and travel and do all that and then come back and also function at work. So it's really important to try and have some degree of sleep hygiene. But also, I, I think the key mistake is, you know, if you're really tired and you arrive and it's morning and you've just arrived at Heathrow and you've not slept, so try and sleep all the way through the day because you'll be awake all night and then you're in trouble. Uh, it's that time once again on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, where I badly misjudge uh, my job compared to Neil's job um, and the relevance between them. People always think that it's so kind of cool when you get to go and do your show in Los Angeles. Now, my breakfast show yeah. is 6am to 10am. Okay. So when we fly to LA, which we have done, and done the show there, which, as I say, it's full of Hollywood glamour, it's not. Because the <laughs> hours to be live in the UK are 10pm to 2am. In LA? That's when I have to be up doing the show for it to be on between 6am and 10am wow. here. 10pm to 2am. How do you find that? The shows aren't good. <laughs> don't, don't download those podcasts. <laughs> That's why they stop sending you, is it? <laughs> Doctor Next Door isn't just about Dr. Neil and myself. No, no. We love it when you get in touch with your questions and your stories. And you can do anytime you like. Doctor at nextdoorpod.com is our email address. Or you can find us on the socials, which is Doc Next Door Pod. We love your correspondence, like this one from Aisha. Hello, Aisha, and thank you very much, Steve, for getting in touch. Uh, now, I've saved this email for this episode of the podcast because it leads nicely on from my big burning question hi dave and dr neil do doctors and nurses have places in the hospital where they can sleep 
And if so, what are they like? Are they tiny rooms with no windows? Or more like a hostel with a few beds, bunk beds in the same room? Uh, That's from Aisha, as I say. We touched on it on an earlier edition of the podcast, This Is Going To Hurt, uh, the Adam Kay book adapted onto television starring Ben Whishaw. An incredible television series. But yourself having worked and working as part of the NHS and all of the things that come with that, you don't really want to get home, kick back and watch a TV series about it. Yeah. I totally understand. <laughs> so uh, I know you haven't watched them all, but one of the threads which runs throughout the whole series is just the, the doctors and nurses finding themselves in this constant state of tiredness, almost like hallucinating because they're just so overworked and there's no opportunity to go and get a nap. Uh, following on to Aisha's email, how realistic is that? Are there little rooms where you can go and, and get 40 winks? So, uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the the adaptation's very good in terms of how it's filmed, don't you think? Because it does have this days-like feel. And I remember, you know, these periods where you do seven nights in a row or you do seven long days in a row and you'd be in this kind of Groundhog Day, eat, sleep, repeat sort of thing, and you'd be just in this daze. Mm. And you would be sometimes very tired, particularly at night, as we've talked on earlier about jet lag. Your first night shift, you know, gets dark and then, you know, loads of melatonin secrete from your brain and you're just, you want to sleep. Um, When I was younger, I was probably better at staying up and certainly staying up through the whole night shift. There were, and in most hospitals, there are some small rooms where you can take some degree of rest. They're not often, you know, proper rooms. They're like converted little cubby holes or something. There's often not really a proper bed. Maybe it's a couch or a sofa if you're lucky or just a table or something like that that you adapt. Sleep on a table. Yeah, some kind of, you know, couchy pillar. table type yeah. thing that you adapt. Oh. And and in the nursing fraternity, particularly at night, they will sometimes take the night through a shift. So over 12 hours or so, they will each give themselves a break of a period where they'll go to a rest and there may be a formal restroom and things. But as a junior doctor, you know, we did used to have some rooms with some degree of, you know, comfort and maybe a sofa or bed, but over time they've been replaced as hospitals have less space and things get expanded. And so you just, you know, make do and do the best you can. And one of the strange things that seems seems to happen to me on night shifts particularly is that after a few night shifts you then start to shift so you're used to kind of sleeping in a bit in the day not normal sleep not very well either but what used to happen is that as dawn seems to arrive i used to get really tired and that's also the point where your consultant comes for the ward round and it's like wants to be taken around and go what have you done at night and what's going on pesky consultants <laughs> and i remember like this hilarious thing where the nurses would just kind of let me fall asleep on the computer as i was trying to write the handover i'm just like pass out and fall out so my like lips oh. and my face would be on the keyboard and the space button as the consultant walks in be like, oh hi good morning yeah let's go around but you presume the consultant he or she will understand why this is because they would have been through it themselves right yeah, yeah. although there is there's a degree some sympathy of, right from the the higher echelons some, of the medical world some degree world. of sympathy of, okay. of that but there's always this you know it was harder in my day i never used to sleep story, oh i know. see it's one of those but yeah plus when they look at the screen you're playing solitaire yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> um also aisha adds on the end here she says i also have a question for dave have i ever had a cheeky nap in the studio before going on the radio after a heavy night out and my answer to that is aisha how dare you (laughs) (laughs) 
And that's it for this episode of The Doctor Next Door. As ever, thank you to my regular co-host and neighbour, Dr. Neil Shrinivesan. Next time, I will again be discussing more myths and marvels from the medical world. I'll have another burning question for Dr. Neil and we'll be answering more of your questions too. Please rate, review and subscribe from wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you do know a doctor, nurse or medical professional who you think might like this, if they've already had their nap, then please do recommend it. Now, would you kindly... Get out of my house. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.